Well, greetings and welcome to Catechesis, a teaching series aimed to instruct in foundational Christian doctrine and to encourage piety amongst the people of God. For those who don't know me, my name is Joe Anity. I serve as pastor at Emmaus Reformed Baptist Church in Hemet, California, and I'm pleased that you have joined me today. In this first lesson, we will be considering question one of the Baptist Catechism. It should be remembered, for it has already been stated in that introductory episode, that questions one through five are all very foundational. They establish the first principles that must be addressed before further theological instruction can take place. Does God exist? And if so, how can he be known are the questions that are being answered here. And it should be clear to all that these questions must first be answered before we can move on to further theological considerations. For those considerations will be grounded in God and in his revelation of himself to us in the scriptures. In other words, these first five questions establish what our supreme authority for truth is, namely God and his revealed word. Question one of the Baptist Catechism simply asks, who is the first and chiefest being? And I do love that our catechism begins with this question. It is truly a bedrock question. Who is the first and chiefest being? Those who are familiar with the Westminster Shorter Catechism know that the first question in that catechism is different. What is the chief end of man? Is the first question that the Shorter Catechism asks. That also is a wonderful question. And the answer given is true and it is beautiful. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. In other words, this is what we were designed by God to do. We are to glorify God. We are to worship and serve him with all that we are, and we are to enjoy him. I really appreciate the emphasis that is given there to the enjoyment of God. There is no greater blessing, no greater pleasure than to know God and to be known by him. Some have pointed out that we glorify God the most when we are found enjoying him. Uh, This is what God created us to do. Our Baptist forefathers decided to replace this first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism with the question, who is the first and chiefest being? Certainly, they did not do away with Westminster Shorter Catechism number one because they disagreed with it. We Baptists wholeheartedly agree that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I suspect they chose to begin differently because they wanted to start with an even more foundational question. Instead of asking what is man's purpose, they ask, who is the first and chiefest being? And the answer given to question one is simply this, God is the first and chiefest being. And so our catechism begins with a question about God's existence and not man's purpose. Both questions, the one that begins the Baptist Catechism and the one that begins the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and the answers that correspond to them, they're beautiful, and they are helpful, I think. But I do appreciate where our catechism begins. Now, if I were leading my children through the catechism, I would ask the question and then instruct them to repeat the answer after me. This one is so brief that they'll probably be able to recite the whole answer back all at once. Uh, For the younger children, even the short answer might need to be divided up into parts. And so I would ask, who is the first and chiefest being? And then I would expect them to respond in this way, saying, God is the first and chiefest 
being. I think it is important that our children say the words out loud. When they learn to say the words, they are gaining the necessary building blocks for future learning, even if they cannot yet fully comprehend the concepts. It might also be helpful to have them write the questions and answers down. Uh, This would help them with memory. This would probably be a good time to tell you that there is another catechism available to you for use with uh, very young children. It is called A Catechism for Girls and Boys, and it's available on our website at EmmausRBC.org under Learn. Uh, This catechism, it covers similar subjects, but the answers are a bit shorter. Concerning question one of the Baptist Catechism, who is the first and chiefest being, and the answer, God is the first and chiefest being, I have the following remarks to make. Uh, Notice that the scriptures begin with the same theme, in the beginning, God, says Genesis 1.1. And similarly, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, says John 1.1. Our catechism begins where the scriptures begin with a declaration concerning the existence of God and his supremacy over all things. Our catechism says that God is the first. What is meant by first, we might ask? The points that I'm about to make are either taken directly from or drawn heavily upon a helpful little commentary on the Baptist Catechism by Benjamin Bedom called A Scriptural Exposition of the Baptist Catechism. Concerning God being the first, he notes, one, that God is the first of all beings and that he was before all others. So here, first has a temporal uh, sense to it. God was before all others. Isaiah 44, 6 says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last besides me, There is no God. Two, God is the first cause of all beings. All other beings were brought into existence by him and for him. 1 Corinthians 8.6 says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. This is a very important concept. God is God. He is the creator. And all other things are his creation. All other things were brought into existence by him and for him. And in this sense, he is the first. He is the first cause of all beings. Three, God is the first in providence. We will learn about providence later on in the Catechism. Uh, But here we are referring to uh, not the creation of all things, nor of God's decree, which took place prior to creation, but of his his providence, his governing of, of all things, his bringing about of his purposes in human history. God is the first in providence. In him we live and move and have our being, for we are indeed his offspring. That is Acts 17, 28. In him we live and move and have our being. He governs all things. He is even now the sustainer of life. For God is first in the world of grace. Here the emphasis is upon God disseminating his grace to his creatures. He is the one who takes the initiative and not us. 
2 Corinthians 5.18 says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. All of this referring to the grace of God shown to us, it is from God. He is the first in the world of grace. Five, God is the first to love. And here we have a citation from 1 John 4.19, which says, We love because he, God, first loved us. Six, God is the first to give. And here Romans 11.35 is cited, Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Uh, The emphasis here from the Apostle Paul is that uh, we do not really give gifts to God, do we? He gives gifts to us, and anything that we offer up to him is, is but an act of gratitude as we give back to him that which he has already provided for us. He is the first to give. More could be said, I'm sure. But when we say that God is the first, we are saying that he is the beginning and the source of all things. He was the first to exist. He always has existed, and he is the beginning and source of all things. What then is meant by chiefest? We do not use that word chiefest very often in our day-to-day speech, but here we are referring to God's supreme authority. One, God is the chiefest being in the sense that no one outranks him. Exodus 15.11 says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? No one outranks God. He is supreme. Two, God is chief in heaven. And when we talk about heaven here, we are not referring to that place where the sun, moon, and stars reside, but to the heaven of heavens. We are referring to that realm that God created in the beginning where his glory is manifest and where the angels reside. He is chief in the heavenly realm. Psalm 89, 6-8 talks about this when it says, For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him? That is a reference there to the heavenly hosts. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. God is chief, he is supreme, in heaven. And three, God is chief or supreme on earth. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth, Psalm 97 9 says. Four, God alone is chief. In other words, he shares his supremacy with no one at all. Psalm 57 2 says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purposes for me. There God is called God Most High. Five, we should know that God will forever maintain his supremacy. And here Psalm 92, 6 through 8 is cited, which says, The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. So here we have an emphasis upon um, the mortality of men. But you, in contrast, O Lord, are on high forever. When we say that God is the first of beings, we emphasize that he existed before all others and is the beginning and source of all things. When we say that he is the chiefest of all beings, 
We are emphasizing his supremacy over every created thing. I hope that you are able to see why these foundational truths, though they might at first seem to be very basic, are life-changing if they are believed. Perhaps you could try for a moment to imagine living in this world not believing that God is the first and chiefest of beings. This would profoundly change your view of the world and your way of life. If God is the first and chiefest of beings, then it follows that we are obligated to honor him as such. If God is the first and chiefest of beings, then it follows that we are to live for him and under his supreme authority. If God is the first and chiefest, then it is clear that we, as his creatures, are to live always for his glory. Bedome, in his scriptural exposition of the Baptist Catechism, makes application along these lines. He says, God is the first being, therefore, he should be first in our thoughts. Psalm 1, 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. If God is the first being, then we should delight in his word. We should delight in his law. He should be first in our thoughts. He should be first in our esteem. Psalm seventy-three twenty-five says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. I wonder, is that true of you? Do you esteem, do you desire God more than anything on earth to know him and to be known by him? We should give ourselves first unto him if he is the first of beings. Romans 6, through 23 says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That passage is here cited uh, because it says that having been set free from sin, we are now slaves of God, and we should be so happily. Uh, We should be happy to be his servants. God is the chiefest being, Bedham continues in his application. Therefore, he should be chiefly loved. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Why? Because he is the chiefest of beings. That is Luke 10, 27. He should be chiefly feared as well. Deuteronomy 10.12 says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? And then lastly, Bedom notes that happy are those who worship God supremely. It is true. Uh, when we are found giving God glory, when we are found worshiping supremely, we are most happy. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord, Psalm 144.15 says. It is not a burden to love God and to live in obedience to him. It is not a burden to live for his glory and not our own. In fact, uh, it is the greatest of blessings. Again, blessed are the people whose God is the Lord, Psalm 144.15. If you are a single person or a couple listening to this teaching, I pray that you've been blessed by it today. I would encourage you to try to memorize the catechism question and answer this week and to reflect upon the scripture passages that undergird it. I have read many scripture passages today. Notice that Isaiah 44.6 is listed as a proof text in the catechism. 
Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. Also, Psalm 97, 9 is listed, For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. So perhaps you could focus upon these two texts and maybe even put them to memory. And again, I would encourage you to memorize the catechism question and answer. It is not only for our children to do, but it is of great benefit for adults as well, even those who have been in the faith for a long time, uh, to memorize these wonderful truths. Now, if you are a parent listening to this teaching, then I would encourage you to think about how you might teach children these truths at a level appropriate to their capacity. I think one common mistake that parents make when trying to lead family worship or to catechize their children is to make things too complicated. It is important to keep things simple. If your children are old enough, perhaps they could listen to this teaching with you from week to week. But if they are younger, perhaps it would be best for you to listen to this teaching, to digest it yourselves, and then to feed it to them in smaller pieces, which they can then digest. A little here and a little there is a good approach, I think. And this is what Deuteronomy 6, 6-9 through 9 seems to encourage in regard to teaching children the law. Deuteronomy 6, 6 says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. I hope that these words are on our hearts as parents and as those who are adults and mature in the faith. But then the passage says, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so may we be diligent to teach our children the things of the Lord in this way from day to day and from Lord's day to Lord's day. Until next time, abide in Christ.